0: welcome as we continue our journey through the word of god and today we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and we're just going to be looking at the first 5 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 it's where the apostle paul really starts to drill down on what the problems were in the church in Corinth. Now remember, they had had some disunity amongst themselves. They couldn't agree on how they should live and what level of spirituality they had. They had an overinflated sense of their own spirituality. And Paul's addressed this in the first few chapters of first Corinthians. And now he has to confront actually what's really going on there that's not good. And it's not good. It's, it's pretty bad. And that's what we have to deal with here and what we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, which is confronting immorality in the church. Not immorality outside the church, but in the church itself, amongst Christ's followers. And so this is what we have the Apostle Paul starting to address here in verse 1 of chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. Now, the term sexual immorality is the ancient Greek word porneia. It broadly refers to all kinds of sexual activity outside of marriage, including homosexuality. Now, originally, porneia just referred to going to prostitutes. But before the New Testament times, the Jewish community used the word to refer to any kind of extramarital sex, including homosexuality. And that's the sense that it's used in in the New Testament. Now, porneia so often appears in the New Testament lists of sins, but not because the first Christians actually had hang-ups about sex. Not at all. Guzik says this, Instead it is because the area of sex was one of the most dramatic places where the ethics of Greek culture clashed with the ethics of Jesus. Sexual immorality was an accepted fact of life for the common person in Greek culture, but it was not to be so among the followers of Jesus Christ. Now, apparently somebody in the church in Corinth was having an ongoing sexual relationship either married or living together with his stepmother his father's wife you would imagine that the the woman is not a christian because she's not even addressed in the letter and this is a letter to the brethren those who are saved and the verb here to have uh, that a man has his fam- father's wife it's a euphemism for an enduring sexual relationship not just a one-night stand or something that happened once. It's an ongoing thing. Paul says this sexuality and immorality is not even named among the Gentiles. In other words, this kind of incestuous relationship was considered by people who were not Christians as being not okay. Yet the Corinthian church seemed to accept this behaviour. Uh, there was an ancient writer and statesman, his name was Cicero, and he said that this type of incest was an incredible crime and practically unheard of, which is why Paul said it was not even named among the Gentiles. Now, it should have been enough that this is declared sin in the Bible for the church in Corinth, because in Leviticus chapter 18, uh, Deuteronomy 2, 22, Deuteronomy 27, that, that should have been enough for them. But the Corinthian Christians didn't seem to be bothered by it at all. And that's what really bothered Paul. So verse two, he says, And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. So Paul says, look, as bad as the sin was itself, Paul's more concerned about the church in Corinth taking the sin lightly and that they were unconcerned. In other words, have not mourned this behaviour. He's like, why isn't this bothering you? I don't understand. See, previously in this letter, Paul had dealt with the thought problems of the Corinthian Christians, their their wrong thoughts about God's power, his work, his servants. Now he's starting to deal with their moral problems. And the two are connected. Their, their moral problems are are arising because they weren't thinking right about God and they weren't thinking right about the ways of the world. That he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. This was Paul's solution to the problem. Take this notoriously unrepentant person, this man, away from the protection of the fellowship of God's people. Why aren't you doing that? Why haven't you removed him from fellowship? How could this kind of thing be allowed? Now, we have to remember the church in Corinth is in Corinth. Corinth is a place noted for its sexual immorality. Pagan religions did not value sexual purity at all. So it wasn't hard for a Corinthian to think that you could be religious, but then still do whatever you wanted to when it came to sex. Greek culture had a way of -of matter-of-factly saying, listen, we keep mistresses for the sake of pleasure concubines for the daily care of the body and wives just to bear us legitimate children that was it that's how they talked now they should know through Leviticus chapter 18 that the bible expressly for you know forbids a man to have sex with his stepmother that's you know the nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover but some rabbis of the time Jewish rabbis, particularly Rabbi Akiba, said that such a relationship was permissible for a Gentile convert to Judaism, because they were a completely new person, and their old family relationships didn't really count at all. So Paul's got to address all this false teaching, what's going on, but more than anything else, the Corinthian Christians allowed this most probably because they were tolerant Yes, that word that is invading culture right now, tolerance. Tolerance. We've got to be tolerant. They probably said to themselves, look how loving we are. We're tolerating this man having a relationship that's incestuous with his father's wife. We're just accepting this brother as he is. Look how open-minded we are. Never underestimate what people will allow in the name of open-mindedness. If it's evil, it's evil. It's what the Bible says. If the Bible says don't no, do it, you don't do it. And you don't tolerate it just because it makes you open-minded. The Corinthian Christians were proud. He said, you're puffed up because you think you, you think accepting this man makes you somehow incredibly wonderful. But instead of glorifying what this man's doing, you should have grieved both for the man himself, And for what you have to do to him, which is take him away from among you. So Paul says, now I'm going to tell you what to do with the question you asked me about this man. I indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has so done this deed. In in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. This is an incredibly important passage of scripture. Paul says his spirit was being present. He truly represented in their midst by his letter. His spirit was going with this letter. This was a valid spiritual extension of his apostolic authority. Paul didn't have to be there physically in order to exercise his authority. Uh, The physical distance away didn't make him less of an apostle. And Paul says, here, I have already judged. He's pushing his authority very strongly here. But not too much, because he recognizes that it has to be done in the name and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, it doesn't mean anything. And he says, for indeed, I have already judged. Now, we could ask the question, should Paul have done that? Was it okay for him to say that he would be the judge? Because Jesus said in Matthew 7, judge not lest you be judged. Jesus' command in Matthew chapter 7 forbids hypocritical judgment and judging others by a standard that you yourself do not want to be judged by. Paul's perfectly willing to apply the same standards to himself that he's applying to the church in Corinth. Some judgment is permitted, some is not. That's biblical. So, how, when we read this, how could they deliver such a one to Satan? What what does Paul mean by that? Well, he's saying, put him outside the walls of the church, outside the confines of the church, into the world. The world is the devil's domain. The punishment is a removal of spiritual protection. It's not an infliction of evil upon this person. It's just taking away the covering, the canopy of spiritual protection. See, God often protects us from the attacks of Satan, even when we don't even know about the attacks. Job chapter 1, verse 10. Luke chapter 22, verse 31 to 32. Guzik has an interesting perspective on this. He says, The fact that so many can leave many churches without a second thought shows how weak those churches really are. Shouldn't they be places a person under discipline, put outside the fellowship, would actually miss? But doesn't it also say something about a Christian if they can willingly neglect the assembling of the saints together and prefer their actual isolation? Yeah, interesting observation. Paul's command also served a very important purpose of removing any false feeling of security that this sinning man might have among the fellowship of Christians. They couldn't just let him ignore his sin and pretend it wasn't there. If this man was going to refuse to face his sin, the church had to face it for him, for his sake and for their sake, which is what Paul's talking about. And the purpose of putting this man outside the protection of the church and the social comfort of the church was the destruction of the flesh. Not the body, but his rebellious flesh. This man was a Christian. And he was giving himself over to the sins of the flesh. And Paul says, hey, listen, as you put him outside the confines of the church, this person will be given over to the sinful consequences of his flesh decisions. And the hope is that by having to wallow in the results of his own sin, then the sinful impulse of his flesh in that area will be destroyed and he won't want to have a sexual relationship with his stepmother anymore. See, as Christians we have a continual battle with the flesh. Uh, The old man is dead having been crucified with Christ in Romans chapter 6. But the flesh lives on and it's educated by sin in the old man. We look back at our sin, oh, oh, that's, oh, I learnt that. But some, sometimes our flesh learns those things and says, oh, I can find a way around that. See, God calls us into a partnership with him. To do to the flesh what he did by himself to the old man, which is crucify it. That's what we're meant to do with our flesh. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, crucify it. Paul hopes by putting this man out of the fellowship of the Corinthian churches, it will lead him to crucify his flesh, crucify his passions and desires to want to have a sexual relationship with his stepmother, and then come back into relationship with them. That his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. The goal of the discipline is clear. It's his salvation. It's not about to to destroy him or his spirit. This man's conduct was clearly sinful and needed severe correction. But Paul doesn't write him off as as being lost forever. The effective use of church discipline was hopefully going to allow him to see his way back to true salvation. All the discipline in the church should be carried out in the perspective of restoration, not condemnation. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 verse fourteen and 15. Paul said, if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Paul does not say the church should take away that sinning man's salvation. The church doesn't grant salvation, and the church can't take away somebody's salvation. But there are cases for the good of the sinner, for the good of the church, when someone should be put outside the congregation. In in today's church culture, uh, unfortunately, this very rarely ever brings a sinner to repentance, putting them outside the church. And I'll tell you why because they can just so easily go to another church and pretend that nothing happened at their old church. Or they can play the victim, as if, oh yes, I was treated so crue- cruelly and abused by my old church. Now, it is true that's, that churches have abused certain people, and they've been cruel towards some of their members. They've unjustly put some of their members outside the congregation. That has happened. But that doesn't mean that the church should never practice biblical principles that Paul's teaching about here it should be done for the good of the church and for the good of the sinner and if you are somebody who has been treated poorly by a church I'm sorry that has happened to you and I hope you can find a safe place to worship where you can be healed and restored and and be under proper spiritual authority that will protect and love you and care for you not hurt you or harm you so let's leave it there for today because we've covered a lot of ground a lot of heavy duty ground And uh, we're about to get into some more heavy-duty teaching from the Apostle Paul as we continue our journey through First Corinthians chapter 5. But uh, I want you to write down what you observe from today. What do you get out of this? And uh, tell us, because we want to know. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word. It just pairs all things away so that all that reveals is Jesus Christ, and our love for our Savior. Lord, I pray that if there's anything in our lives that's causing us uh, to be hindered in our work for you. Lord, I pray that those things would be taken away. And I pray, Lord, that we would have an understanding that when you offer us the gift of salvation and we receive it, that you call us to live to a higher standard than what we were living to before we became Christians. And we need to lay aside those things so that we can focus on Jesus Christ, Him crucified, and the calling that is on our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.